on this week's Devils in the Details. United are still not playing, but we are still recording. We only got through so many topics last week, which leaves us with many more for this week. Strikers, the defense as a whole, maybe some changes at board level, and what we'd hope to see, and many, many more. Without further ado, Case, let's get straight into it. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. How are you? Um, I'm all right. It's been, like I said, a pretty relaxing time, and that gives me the opportunity to get back into some football, so I'm looking forward to this. Maybe let's just get started. We got a lot of questions last week, and we fielded some more questions this week, and honestly, you guys have been on fire. These questions have been really, really good, and we want to go through some of them. And we're going to start with the topic of strikers that United might be looking at. Um, in particular, we'll start with this question from Aldo. What type of second striker should we get in the summer? Martial looks gone. I'd love Ivan Tony, and personally believe that if not him, we should definitely get someone 28 plus to rotate and support Hoyland throughout the season and give good competition and insight to him. This is a pretty interesting one, and anyone who has followed Case and I for a long time or the podcast we'll know that we both love a good striker. So, Case, what are your thoughts on this? I think you actually have stronger feelings on Tony than I do, or at least a more a more recent take. So do you want to start on this? And then I can, I can respond to what you have to, to, to say. Yeah, sure. I, I'll start by saying this, right? I think the signing of Hoyland has changed the outlook for this position compared to a year ago. And the performances of Hoyland have changed possibly my opinion about what United should do. Um, I think we have a lot of evidence that Hoyland could actually be very good. And I think in the summer when United signed Hoyland, we were kind of on the fence. We were like, I don't think there's much evidence that he's not good, but the system he's playing in is very different to what he's going to be doing at United. And it remains to be seen how he's going to adapt to that change. And I think we still have some question marks, um, mostly because United aren't that good. And so it's hard to figure out what his numbers and what his production will look like when United are actually functionally creating chances. But I think some of the early signs are good. His physicals are very good. Um, he has a lot of ability in terms of contributing overall to the game and not just goal scoring. His defensive contribution is strong. And he is United's top scorer in all competitions this season, despite maybe some rocky goal scoring form and some difficulties in front of net in the Premier League. So... I think you get to the point where if you're getting that from a 20, a 21-year-old, it's relatively difficult to upgrade. I think I'm relatively confident you're going to get over the course of Hoyland's United career. As long as United are functional, you're going to get at least two and five goals from him, like two goals in five nineties. Um, and you're possibly going to get one and two, which would make him a very, very good striker at Premier League level. Um, and then really hard to upgrade upon. So I think... What that leaves you with is a couple options. Number one is you can go buy a superstar. I think United need a superstar in this attack. You can go buy an experienced player on a cut price deal because United need minutes at this position. Hoyland can't play every single game. We know at this point that Martial doesn't really have a future here, regardless of what happens with this contract. Or you can go and buy a young prospect. Um, and I would be fine with either of those. Where that leaves me on Ivan Tony is I don't really think he's any of those. He is 
a little bit more in the experience bracket, but he's expensive and he's not an elite goal scorer. Um, I think his time in the Premier League has shown that he's a decent goal scorer. Um, he'll run you roughly. It looks like he's been he's been in the like 0.35 to 0.4 expected goals per 90 range in his time in the Premier League and a little bit higher than that when he was in the championship. Um, that's not including penalties. And that's not gonna that's not gonna move the needle at United. And therefore, I think it's unrealistic for clubs of United's caliber even, or even just United specifically, to spend more than 60 million, 50 million pounds on him. Um, and that's not to say I don't think he's a good player. I actually really enjoy watching him. I think there's a lot to like in his game. I just don't think he really fits in the category of what these types of clubs tend to be looking for, given his price and age and the level he's reached. Yeah, I agree with most of what you said there. I think I'll, I'll address Tony quickly and then Hoyland at greater length. Tony, I think, is a very good player. I think the big thing is, is the price tag and his age and, and what he actually is. I, I don't think what he would cost is worth what he is. Um, and, and yeah, I, th- I think it's that simple. Uh, I think you, you look in other... You go in other directions, uh, unless he's far cheaper than I, than I think he's going to be. Um, but yeah, it would have I, to be like half what I'd expect this to cost. Yeah. Yeah, agreed on that. And, and, th- and that's no knock on Tony as a footballer. That's, uh, yeah. Um, as for Hoyland... I agree with a lot of what you just said there. I think there's evidence that he's very good, uh, or, or at least on the brink of being very good. In the matches that we have so far across the Champions League and, and the Premier League, he's got 0.38 non-penalty expected goals per 90 minutes, which is totally fine given his age and the performance of this side. Uh, and from that point, he, and he's on, a, on an aggregate scale, seven goals from 6.7 expected goals. Um, yeah, there's really, that's perfectly healthy stuff. It's been worse in the Premier League, but it's been very good in the Champions League. Um, I think you can tack that up to a lot of different things. Um, there are obviously a lot of question marks. I don't think he's good enough to, like, win a title with right this second. Um, I, 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 Aaron is, is shaking his head here in, in potential descent. I, I I think you can say that pretty pretty confidently. I don't think Rasmus Hoyland, if you if you drop him in an otherwise title winning side right now, is a, is is firing you past City, personally. Um and, and He's that's not firing yeah, okay. That's true. I guess. I mean I think where I think I would say he's not at the level where he is the difference between or frequently the difference between you getting second and you getting first, the way someone like Erling Haaland or Mo Salah would be, which is a player that United need to have. But I don't necessarily think that player needs to be the striker. Um, so no, agreed. But I, I, I don't think his, yeah, I don't think his level let less than that's probably for non penalty expected uh, goals per ninety minutes played is is just not great. And that's not to say I don't think he can be a really great player. It's just I don't think he is right this second, which is okay because he's young. Like, yeah, I think his numbers would be a lot higher though if he played for a more functional side. Like, I, the other I thing about him higher. is I think there's yeah. early evidence that some of the shots he's getting off are a very high XG, which means that in teams where they create those situations more often than United do, he's going to get more of those shots off. And 
it's hard to say, and this is the problem when you have a striker in a dysfunctional team, is it's hard to say how much better they will get. Like the difference between a .45 and a .55 is massive at this level. It doesn't sound that big, but it's very big. It's huge. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it doesn't sound big because, like, you know, those are small decimal points. But when you scale, yeah, yes. when, when you scale it over the course of forty matches, like you know, a tenth of a goal a game over forty matches is four goals. Four goals. Like, which is a ton. It's four goals, you know, that's the difference between an 18-goal season and a 14-goal season, or a 14-goal season and a 10-goal season, um, which I think we can all agree is those are two very different players, the players producing those those numbers. Um, not that goal scoring is the entire bag, right? And I think he's, he's still, like, not totally... He's got rough edges to his game, I think. Like, he's got some... I wouldn't say his touch is bad. It's just uh, inconsistent. Like, definitely nothing you can't work with. Sometimes he actually shows, like, very promising passing touch, I, I think. Um, I would agree. Yeah, we can, we can go into greater detail on his game, but I think the bottom line is he is exactly what he's supposed to be. <laughs> like, he, he is what he was supposed to be. Um, I, I'm not worried about him. We had another question that was... Uh, just after this, what sort of striker should we be looking for? Is Hoyland good enough slash will he be good enough in two to three years to lead the line for an elite side? Should we sign a backup or an upgrade? I think definitely he will be good enough in two to three years uh, to lead the line for an elite side. Um, or maybe not definitely because that's just, you know, I could be putting my foot in my mouth, but I, I'm very confident of it. Um, as for a backup or an upgrade, the thing, having said all of this, which I think is generally positive on Hoyland, I don't think there's, like, I don't think because you have Hoyland, you can't, for instance, if you wanted to, sign a Simmon. Like, I don't think you should regard that as a uh, a roadblock. Like, you can have two very, very, very good strikers on the same team. Um, and I don't think, given Hoyland's age, it would even really be blocking him. A Simmon and Hoyland aren't even that close in age. Like, they're five years apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A Simmon turns 26 That's- this year. He's 1998, Hoyland's 2003. Yeah. Yeah. They're really more like four years apart because Hoyland's a February kid and Simmons a December baby. I don't know why I said kid. Um, Anyway, point being, I think both can be yes. Yes, Hoyland will be good enough. And also, yes, you can and perhaps should upgrade. Um, Yeah. I, I, I think like... It was a bizarre plan to play, to be reliant on him for all of these minutes. And we said that in the summer, right? Like, I, I'm surprised he, maybe I'm not surprised because there really is no alternative, but like, it's a, it's not great that you got a 20 year old kid, um, playing all of the, like, basically being like the only, even like remotely effective striker in, in what's supposed to be a competitive side, right? Like, like that's just not good squad construction. Um, so yeah, I personally would not at all be opposed to, and perhaps might even advocate for going for some, like a real star. Um, but short of that, then I think you probably go for somebody sort of in that 26 to 29, uh, age bracket who's good, uh, and can, you know, I think most importantly, like meets the physical requirements for, um, the position at the Premier League level. Um, and can, yeah, I think just 
broadly provide a lot of the same things Hoyland does, perhaps without like the long-term upside, um, just so that he doesn't have to play so often. Yeah. Yeah, you basically, I would boil it down to this, right? I I think United have... So yes, I think it was a bit sub-op- suboptimal to put Hoyland in a position of being the main striker for Manchester United at this stage in his career. I also think last summer you faced what was a bit of a... An, Im- an imperfect or an inefficient market of strikers for United to recruit from. Like, I think the ideal was obviously someone like Victor Osimhen, who is in his mid-20s, absolutely bona fide elite numbers for a number of years and in different leagues, um, and a clear differentiator in crucial matches and, and crucial at a crucial level for Napoli. Like, I think that was obviously the template of what you were looking for. But it became unlikely that a player like that was going to join. And there aren't that many alternatives. And so you had to turn to someone who was either older and could give you the guaranteed output at a lower price. Or someone who was younger and would be a bit of a risk. Um, now, I think where the real mistake was is that Hoyland's really the only option United have. There's a there's a Darth in numbers here of United actually having... Like, there are massive tactical issues when Hoyland is out. Um, that's a huge problem. And I think that means you have two problems to solve here, right? You have an elite talent, Darth, in the front three. This is something we talk about all the time. The teams that win the competitions always have the best attackers or one of the best attackers. And United currently don't have any of them, I don't think. And I don't think Case thinks either. And then the other thing is um, a lack of numbers. So you either, I think, go and find someone who becomes available, who gives you that talent differentiation, and you go and get them at whatever price, or you go and try and get someone who can replicate what Hoyland does when he's unavailable um, and does not damage your financial potential to go and make that signing should it become available in the future, which would be a striker in their late 20s or maybe someone inexperienced in their early 20s who you believe can take the step up for a lower price. Something like that. Um, and right now, I think if Hoyland is your starting striker next season, it is far from a disaster. He's probably one of United's better players, honestly. But it it would not be the worst thing to go and get another striker who's even better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we're totally on the same page there. Two questions for you. Where does Bruno fit in all of this? Um, because you just said you don't think United have, you know, that, that great top-end attacker... But then last week we kind of said that Bruno is that. So like, where? How do you reconcile those two things? Because I, I don't think that they're ir- irreconcilable, but I do think we should clarify. Yeah. So in my head, firstly, I said I, I kind of consider Bruno a midfielder, but that's perhaps unfair because I do think that for many years Kevin De Bruyne was Man City's differentiating attacker compared to the rest of the Premier League. Um, but I will also say that. As good as Bruno is, I think I would describe him as the best United have, not necessarily the best in the league. I still don't think he's putting up numbers like what the likes of Erling Haaland, Mo Salah, when he's fit, Kevin De Bruyne are putting up. And those are the players who are consistently leading the teams who are winning the league. Same with someone like Sadio Mane a couple of years ago. Like, I think you really, if you have a player, it, it really becomes as simple as this. And I've probably said this 10 times in the history of this podcast, but... If you have a player in an attacking position who's going to give you 20 goals where the next best player in the league is giving you 15, it's so hard to overcome that gap. Um, 
even with no matter any extent of coaching, cannot create a talent gap that's worth that much. And yeah, that's well there's a small group of attackers at the top of the Premier League and at the top of Europe who are just that much better than the rest of the attackers in Europe. And I think Bruno is among the best players in that second bracket, but I don't think he is Ballon d'Or talent. And that's what United ultimately need to strive towards if they want to win the Premier League and the Champions League. So it's nothing to do with Bruno. Um, I mean, from a long-term lens, you're probably not looking at Bruno in this team in five years, but simply because he's 30 this year. But you're definitely not. It's, I really hope. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, I certainly hope no one is. It's um, it's nothing to do with Bruno's talent level or diminishing Bruno. I still see Bruno as a starter in this team next season. It's just saying that I don't think that Bruno alone wins either Premier League. Yeah, agreed on that. Um, okay, I think we kind of. Sorry. Okay. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna say one more thing. Like, if you end up looking for a striker who's kind of um, not quite the optimal player, but a kind of lower price player who can come in and contribute. I do think it would be nice to kind of have someone who has um, a really, if they're not a high on goal scorer, has a really high affinity for things like taking down long balls and turning um, kind of speculation into good possessions, um, which Ivan Tony is actually really good at. Um, and I mean this simply because I think that's becoming increasingly a vehicle for top teams to build out of pressure. Um, I think it shouldn't be your main option to get out of pressure, but when you have players who can turn speculative buildup into actual attacking possession, those players improve the efficiency of your side and help you build out of games when it inevitably does get difficult against some of the best pressing sides in the world. We've seen this with Liverpool so many times. Like Their forwards are so good at taking down long balls and turning them into possession. Same with the likes of Tony. Same with a lot of City's players that are at a really high technical level. Um, if you're getting a player who's not an elite goal scorer, I would love to see them have traits like that um, in their in their skill set. Yeah, it's this is maybe opening up a whole other can of worms, but it is astonishing how many play, players United have acquired, especially in the last like three to four years, who are genuine like nothings in all of the keys, like the majority of the key skills for their position. You know what I mean by that? Like, and maybe acquired is not the right word because like Anthony Martial, for example, has been like complete dead weight for three years now. Maybe is it four now? It might, might be four. Um, you don't even need to have a great player replace him. Like you would get good value added from a player who does literally anything well. And like I know that sounds mean and vindictive, but I don't mean it that way. I just mean like I don't know what happened to him, and it's very sad. But he's a complete nothing on the pitch for United right now. And like if if you could replace him with somebody who could hold the ball up or dribble or crash the front post or do any of the things you want from a striker, like that would be so much better. And, and I mean, United brought in Wout Weghorst on loan last season, and he didn't score in the Premier League, or maybe scored one goal in the Premier League, and he still made the team a lot better, because, like you're saying, simply having a player who offered anything was better than running out players like Martial or struggling at striker. Yeah, I think that statement is probably controversial, but I thought United would have been worse. I don't think, I don't think Weghorst was good. But yeah, I think United I think would have been not, worse yeah. <laughs> if they did not have him. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he played for a reason. Like, he definitely did some things. He didn't do nothing, which I think you can say of Martial. Um, and that's really the only point. Um, but I would, I would at the same time say I, you, you want somebody better than him. Obviously, uh, you want somebody better by than him. a lot. My, my point yeah. is, like, the, the level we're looking at here is you want players who can play. Like, it, anyone who can play will make United better. Obviously, you want to make them as much better as you possibly can. But players who have not been very good have come in and made significant impact in the forward line simply because of their ability to do things that contribute to how United want to play in any given game. So let's talk a bit about the squad overall in context of perhaps improvements in the medium term, as well as what we're seeing right now. And we're probably going to focus a little bit less on right wing and midfield because we talked about those at length in the last episode. Um, We're going to focus more on some other areas and we just looked at striker. So let's look at the defense. Um, Daniel Walters asks, let's be honest, the defense is a mess personnel-wise. How do we fix it in the summer? Which right back stays, if either? Arguably, all center backs, bar Lissandro, are disposable. Who stays, who goes, who comes in? Right center back and left center back. I think that's a loaded question. Um, Yeah, I I got started on the last one. (laughs) Case, let's start with left back. We obviously saw Sergio Regulon go to Brentford, and I actually quite liked him in his loan spell at United. But his loan spell was definitely an emergency loan. And, I mean, I guess this implies that uh, Tyrell Molassi will be back because Alvaro Fernandez has also left the club. Is left back fine? Or do you think it's time to start looking for someone in the longer term here? I would have no problem with uh, looking for somebody in the long term. That said, I, I do want to kind of just address the general premise of the question before getting into the specifics. I don't think I agree with the general premise of the question. Um, that the defense is a mess? The defense, objectively, from like a performance standpoint, is a, has been a mess. That is not contestable. But I do not think the personnel is like catastrophically bad. I, I, we've seen ex- these same footballers multiple seasons perform in functional defensive sides. Like... So it's just kind of like a nothing. Like it's, I, I think a lot of them can be upgraded on and we'll go into how, but I, I really just, I feel like we do this at United very, very often where there's a bad season and there's this idea that you have to clear everything out. And then the next season, a lot of those same players contribute to an effective side. And then we say, oh, we don't actually need to change that much. And we just go through this cycle over and over and over again. And I think the reality is it's, way more about consistency and momentum and the tactics than it is about like United just don't have good enough center backs period. Um, So I just want to make that general point that said, yeah, I think you can probably say Martinez is the only like consistently, well, as Shaw as well, actually, I think I still think Shaw is a fantastic player. You can probably say they're the only like two consistently very, very good defenders uh, across the board for United. Um, fair enough, which gives which gives us lots of, of latitude to, to have this conversation. Um, so going back to your question about left backs, yeah, I mean, you, you could. I don't think it's a, a huge priority. I don't know what the deal is with Molossia. Like, do we know anything about what, what what's happened? Um, this is worrying to me because I think... Shaw's fitness record suggests that Malassia is actually quite an important player 
I mean, at left back in the first half of the season here, you've seen in Shaw's absence, Regulon, Lindelof, Amrabat, um, I'm probably missing Dalo. You've seen Wambasaka recently. So you've seen five different players come in in Shaw's absence here, um, which all of those minutes presumably would be Malasia if he was um, if he was at the fitness and form level that you would want out of a backup left back. And I mean, you can't blame him for being injured, really. But um, yeah, what's if there isn't confidence in him, it makes me wonder if you need to be looking at another left back. Yeah. Yeah, that said, I'm much more interested in getting a new right center back, I think. Um, I, think I agree. That's... No, I think this would be third, which is why I started with it, of the three positions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's second for you? Is it a left center back or a, or a right back? It's a right center back. What's first? I think. I'm confused. Sorry, first is a right <laughs> center back, second is a right back. A right back. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, like, it's it's a weird. It's tough to address this question. Like, let me. I think you kind of have reframe, to reframe. Actually, yeah. I think it's a little bit difficult because I think, in my view, if if Shaw and Lissandro are United's best defensive players, um, I think Dalo is third, in my view. Which means that, by extension, you would replace a right center back. You would get a starting right center back. But then, on the other hand, I think in Maguire, Lindelof, and even to a lesser extent, Varane, who I'm actually not expecting to stick around that much longer, I think you have better backup options at right center back. Whereas I, I personally just have held the view for a long time that Aaron Wambasaka is not a player that United should be using in the long term. And so, I guess you could say right back as a signing secures the floor more, um, whereas right center back improves the starting 11 more. And then it becomes a debate of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm kind of at a point where I just have no tolerance for technical inconsistency. And like, all, I think all of the players at United have, to a certain extent, been technically inconsistent um, this season. And that just happens when... Um, things are going poorly, I think. That said, I think some of the players at United have been consistently inconsistent during their time at United in terms of their technicality. I think Wamasaka is one of those. I think Varane is one of those. And so, like, it's not even that I think... Take Varane, for example. Fantastic defend, defender, right? Um, clearly a value added. I just... I don't think you should... I, I, I just think... When you're, you're going into this phase where we're supposed to be revamping everything, right? And maybe starting from scratch in a lot of ways. You should be trying to build a team that makes the fewest compromises possible. Like, you shouldn't be building in compromises unless... Like, Bruno, for example, I think is maybe a compromise you can build in for the next few years. Because he's just so, 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 so good. But, like, I don't think Varane with his injury issues with like the general value added of having him in the side is worth those concessions. Um, and I specifically at this point, like where you, we're supposed to be building like the, the, the platonic ideal of what Manchester United's title winning football side is supposed to look like minimize the concessions. And I think he is a concession when he's on the pitch. And I think Wambasaka is a concession when he's on the pitch just because there are like clear, 
insufficiencies in their games. Um, and I think Lindelof is, it, it's, that's true to a certain extent as well. Um, yeah. It, it, does that make sense? Does that, like, I don't even, yeah. that might have just been kind well, of rambly, but. We've had this conversation a lot of times, and I think once a couple months ago, you put it in a different light that I think was, was really illuminating compared to what we usually say, which is the same thing, um, which was, you know, you get to a point where your buildup is very good and you're constantly holding possession and you dominate territory against teams and you are scoring goals and you are largely preventing the opposition from building up. You're doing all of the fundamentals well that you want to be doing for your system. But then you have a problem where one tiny issue is happening. You, When balls get into the box, you lose a number of duels. And then you go, okay, I'm going to take this very well dialed, very well trained, extremely technical, extremely athletic possession side and add Rafael Varane in exchange for some of that in order to regain some of the defensive stability. And you make that change once in a while, every couple games to as a squad piece to shore up that one aspect of your game that you're not sure about. And that's totally fine. But what's not fine is you having a player like that on key player wages, who is a crucial part of the system every single week and doesn't really contribute to largely how you want to be playing the game um, as a regular part of the side on massive wages. I think I think that's where it becomes a problem. Um, it's okay to have one or two of these players in your squad, and even then it's, it's, it's borderline, that add these small things that are important, but not necessarily integral to how you play the game. Um, when you've reached a stage where you can afford to make compromises without losing your ability to, to secure a floor of performance. But United are not at that level. Um, and Varane is also getting into his 30s. So by the time they reach that level, he's likely not even going to be in his prime anymore. So I don't really think it makes sense to be planning around a player like that. As much as I think he's a great defender, I agree. And in United's best current 11, I think he might be in it. But To tie that back into the general conversation here, I think right center back is the priority because you don't have anyone who can play that position who isn't a compromise in some respect. Whereas, like, I feel like we, this is another thing with, like, I think a lot of people felt we were, like, Anthony fans because we discussed him a lot on the podcast in a more positive light than I think he got discussed otherwise. I think that's probably becoming true with Dallow. Um, I think you and I both think Dallow is a very good football player. Um, what, I think Dallow is a much better football player than Anthony, for what it's worth. Right. Um, but I, I take your point. Where I'm going with this is, is is the following. I think Shaw is a very good footballer. I don't think you have to make huge concessions to get him into a good side. I think Lisandro Martinez is a very good footballer. I don't think you have to make huge concessions to get him into a very good side. I think Diogo Dallow the same things are true of him. Um, to a lesser extent, I don't think he's as good as those players, but that's a left back, a left center back, and a right back who I don't... I would not be upset if those were the starters going into next season. And I know a lot of people don't feel that way, but I've seen them all play very, very well. I don't think there are better players in their positions who are readily available. Yeah. Uh, not to say that it's impossible to upgrade on any of them, just that, that, just that I don't think it's the, the best allocation of resources. The same I don't think is true of right center back. I think we have overwhelmingly sloppy technicians there. Um, 
yeah, that's really the key thing. Sloppy technicians or physically weak players um, or physically um, awkward players. It's like really, I think what you're pursuing here is physical dominance and technical fluidity. And that technical fluidity allows for composure on the ball. Like those are really, I think, the key things you're looking for here. And that's what you're looking for in the transfer market at this position. Yeah. So I think like that is a huge priority just for, again, like minimizing the number of, of compromises in this team. Does the, I feel like I feel like we've really had a lot a lack of direction in this conversation, maybe. So I, I might have to cut this down. But um, thoughts on that? No, I think that makes sense. I, I think one thing you're going to see us highlighting a lot over the next few months is this insistence that United should be playing a style of football that is heavily reliant on deep buildup and high pressing um, and being very good at both of those things. Um, and I think it's, it's something that we both feel um, was a reason why we wanted a manager like Ten Hag to come in and a key reason why United are currently not playing well. Um, and by extension, I think a lot of what you're hearing from us is going to be contingent on to what extent you feel that those things are as important as we feel they are. Um, I think I feel that pretty much every top side in the game right now is very good at those two things and has clear solutions to how they're going to do those two things. Um, and I think... I think, by extension, it's very unlikely that United are going to come up with another formula to reach this level. I don't think that's really out there right now, um, except in a few small exceptions that I don't think would apply to a club of United's size and stature. So, by extension, I think when you see us saying players like Dalo are very good, what we mean is that he's very strong in build-up, and we think he has the athletic capabilities to play in a possession system and in a pressing system. And those things, in our opinion, are super valuable and contribute a lot to whether a footballer should be playing for a team like United. Um, even at the expense of other things, such as, for example, I think Dalo can be relatively unimpactful in the final third compared to his ability level um, on the ball. And so... Other people might disagree with us because they say Dalo's really frustrating in the final third. We want to replace him. But currently what we believe is that United need to be establishing a floor of having possession football up to a certain level and pressing football up to a certain level. And then from there, looking at how they can build upon that. Um, and Dalo is not a player that's preventing United from currently reaching that. And so by that view, he is A, a good player and B, a player United should look to keep. And honestly, I think to a large extent, United's board agrees with this. Dalo signed like a 4 plus 1 or a 5 plus 1 extension last summer. I don't think there's any clear intention to sell him. Um, and I don't think there ever has been, regardless of how things have gone with him. Um, which is a sign that, honestly, I think when he's been on the pitch for the last three years, even under Rangnick, when he started playing minutes a lot, he's been one of United's best players, or better players, the entire time. Um yeah, so. yeah I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, yeah, another thing about Dallow is I think... Yeah, we don't know. I, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough on Dallow. And I think enough on this yeah. issue. Like, I think the bottom line is... I don't need to see a ton of money invested into the back four this summer relative to other parts of the field. We shouldn't put any of this off. 
really this summer, a lot of investment needs to be done. And I don't, again, I don't say that because I think the squad needs to be completely revamped. I say that because the players that need to come in are like foundational and incredibly important and you can't keep on getting it wrong. I really think the plague that has afflicted United for the last 10 years has been that of compromise. Don't compromise again. You've got these problems, identify them, and then get the player that is the right fit for it. Or or identify the profile of player and then identify the players who could be that fit, get one of them. I feel like we've been saying this for so, so long. But yeah, that's that's what it is. I think in particular at right center back. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it even from a admin perspective, it's the right time to do this because you've got Varane and Lindelof running down their contracts and Maguire entering his 30s. And so you're reaching a point where even if you weren't going to buy a center back, you'd still have to be finding solutions for who's going to play minutes at this position in the next 2 or 3 years. And so even if United didn't have any any tactical issues here they'd still have contractual ones and so really it's the perfect storm of the right time to get this done um and then same thing with right back i mean if you're gonna renew Aaron Wambasaka, you better have a good reason um i think we've already made it clear we wouldn't agree but yeah it's entering the point where you're gonna have to have another right back Dolo can't play all the minutes um and so i think a really a big part of it is that as well um, you're reaching the point where you just have to buy in these positions and you have to figure it out. Um, and that means this time you want to sort it out for five years or eight years and not just sort it out for two more seasons before the next manager collapses and then you have to replace everybody again. So with that said, talking about team transformation a little bit at striker, as well as having to revamp the team at center back. Last week we talked about new wingers and new midfielders. That's pretty much everything. We had a question from JJ who asked, It sounds like major squad overhaul is coming in the summer. Who would be a dream or even unrealistic signing you'd make to transform the team? I think for me... Okay, I'll I'll again lay out this framework because I think it allows you to understand the idea behind what, what, what what I say here. I want, without exception, the players that come into United to be elite physically, and composed, which is to say, when they receive the ball, they have the technicality to control it and move with the ball, and they don't panic. Like, it's not, it's not, they're not fighting the ball. You know what I mean? And United have had a lot of players who either aren't elite physically that have come in in the last few years and they've failed for those reasons, or are elite physically and panic when they're on the ball. You've got, you know, like your Sancho's, who are not elite physically, but take care of the ball, aren't terrified of having it. And then you have like your Casemiro's who hoof the ball and just seem really awkward when they're receiving it. Um, Both can add value, but ultimately those players just never turn into like the super, super, super high impact guys that you need. Um, And so with that in mind, like personally the guy who I really, really wanted last year, and even though he's had a much tougher season this year, I still really like him, is Leao. Like, I would love to have Rafael Leao. And I realize it's not a great squad fit, but 
I just think he can be extremely, 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 extremely impactful. Like, I think he can be a star, one of the best players in football. And, like, that's what I, that's what I want in my, my, you know, crazy dream signings. Just a, a lack of compromise in these key areas that I view as, like, inalienable to elite footballers. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. I won't pick a forward. Um, I've been talking for years about, I, I haven't had much of a chance to do a lot of scouting on like 19 or 20 year old midfielders. I think that's something I'm looking at doing in the next month or so, but I've spent the last three or four years talking about how well-roundedly excellent Bruno Guimaraes has been in European football and for Newcastle. And I think a signing like that would be so transformative in United's midfield. If they could get a player who would come in alongside Mainu reinforce the physical or the athletic profile of the midfield and also be able to elevate the team's ability to deal with pressure. I think having midfielders like that, again, going back to the discussion about build up and pressing, having midfielders who are able to build and able to press can be such a tactical differentiator um, for coaches who are looking to implement those facets of play into their systems. And I think right now, as a result, United are incredibly reliant on Mainu. I mean, I think I'd argue that the attempts this season to implement deep buildup and high pressing have been subpar, but by have, and large... Have they been attempts at all? Is <laughs> a question I would ask. But yes. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. But I, I, point being, I think anyone looking to implement those systems at United currently will find that a player like Kabi Mainu is essential. And... Another player in his mold, um, perhaps with a little bit more, um, a little bit more attacking thrust and maybe frontline pressing than we've seen from Mainu in this number six role this season. Um, basically, a partner for him who offers the same traits and makes the team not completely collapse when he's absent, while also being able to partner Mainu would be a game changer. Um, Gimaraish is a player that comes to mind, but he's 27 this year. So I would try to look for someone who's a younger version of what he offers. Yeah, I, I like that answer. Um, I think Gimaraish is a great example of what I was just talking about, where like there's real athletic upside. And again, I think elite physicality doesn't always manifest itself the way people imagine. Like Bernardo Silva, for example, I think is actually an elite athlete at Premier League level. Absolutely. And I, and I, and yeah. I don't think... I don't think to the casual fan it looks that way at all. Like, I think he looks like this slow, tiny, like, wafer of a footballer um, <laughs> who could, like, blow away if you if, if there was a strong gust of wind. The reality is I think he's, like, unbelievably, unbelievably athletic because of his, his ability to cover ground, to, like, work for a full 90 minutes, uh, core strength in, like which allows him to, like, you know, operate in central areas. There's so many different ways that, like, elite physicality can manifest itself. Um, and I think Gim Rice is also is another good example of that. Um, though obviously not I mean, an extreme example like Bernardo Silva, but... I think maybe even Gimaraish leans towards the possession stuff even more than the physicality a little bit. So if you want me to give an even yeah. more idealistic example, I'd say find me the next N'Golo Kante. That, like, I would love to have that player in United's midfield. I know much of what people talk about with Conte was his defensive play, um, his pressing, his ability to read situations to win the ball, but he's also such an impactful dribbler 
Um, he became later in his career a very impactful passer. A player who could just come in and do all of that and elevate the level of this team, both in its ability to maintain and progress possession, while also improving its ability defensively, would be absolutely unbelievable. Like, I think that would be so transformative. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, awesome. Yeah, so I think that, yeah. I, I Increasingly, I find when we talk about these things, I move away from, like, specific players to ideas. Like, I don't... I find that often when you start advocating for a specific player, it becomes like an emotional thing. And I say you, when I say you, I mean one. Like, yeah, I do. Perhaps you do. I think a lot of people do. Um, and you get removed from like what the actual objective of obtaining that player is. Like, there's a there's a um, famous line in a movie called Moneyball. I'm sure a lot of you guys have have watched it, and it's about a the movie analytics. Called Moneyball. A movie called Moneyball. <laughs> I know. Um, and the in the the line in the movie is, is to the effect of um, you're not trying to buy players, you're trying to buy wins. Um, and I really do think outside of the context of like statistics, that's a really important framework to maintain. Like you're not trying to buy players, you're trying to buy profiles, you're trying to buy like skills, and those skills generate output. That output wins football matches. Um, and so that's, that's, I've, I've kind of gotten obsessed with physicality, especially like this last year, two, two, three years watching United. It's not that I think United have like this crazy physicality deficit across the squad. It's that there doesn't seem to be a combination of physicality and technicality in many players. Um, and yet like to a certain extent, like that's just, you know, that's just what football is, right? Like you have Players who have both of those things are stars, but like in pl- talent acquisition, especially in young players, you should be trying to get both. Um, anyway, that was a huge aside. I don't know. This has been a no. Very- I mean, it's it's one thing for us to go and say United should go and sign an incredibly physical and technical nineteen-year-old from the Portuguese league or the Argentinian league, and if we've gone and watched and done our due diligence on that player. That's very valuable. It's very interesting. It can be really good content from the perspective of this is us telling you about someone um, that we've seen that does this and this and this. But I think what we're really trying to hammer home here is not about any specific player. Um, and it's something that will apply probably in two years and probably applied two years ago when, you, when United were signing players, which is that having a combination of skills that is valuable at the top level and rare is what differentiates the best teams from good teams or decent teams. Um, And sometimes it requires a lot of money to acquire those players, but it always requires a very, very well-versed scouting and recruitment team and a lot of analysis to be able to identify, even at the top level, who those players are and who they aren't. Um, And regardless of, you know, our individual assessment of any player... That's what we ultimately want to see coming into United and making an impact in the short, medium, and long term. All right, one more topic for today. United have reportedly, or actually confirmedly, hired a new CEO, Omar Barada. Um, John Mack asks, is that John McKenzie? Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Mack. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. 
Um, John McKenzie, our friend from TIFO, asks, Everyone is getting excited about Omar Barada joining, but what would both of your five-point plans be for overhauling Man United if you were in a similar position? And because it's John, this is a thinker, so we might have to talk through this one a little bit. Okay, uh, yeah, so quick thoughts on Omar Barada. I, I don't know the ins and outs of what he did at City. That said, I have spoken to people who have much, much more knowledge of this than I do, including the specifics of his role at City, and they speak very, very, very highly of him. Uh, so this, to me, is more exciting than the Ineos acquisition or partial acquisition because it actually has something to do with the football. Um, obviously, it is a direct result of the Ineos ex- acquisition, so you can't divorce the two, but um, that's just a quick thought on that. As for what my five-point plan would be, that's an incredible question and in that it's uh, incredibly difficult to answer. Um, I, I think the key... I, I've said this about managers before, um, and I think it's true about clubs as well. How good you are as a manager at running a club, at whatever else, in football, essentially comes down to whether you correctly conceptualize how football matches are won. Um, And so I think really a key, key thing, and probably like the number one thing I hope Omar Barada does, is he aligns the whole organization on a view of how football matches are won that is accurate um, (laughs) and, and true, which I think because he's coming from City, and City are, they just win so, so much, I'm optimistic about that because I do think they that there is a, there's an organizational agreement on how football matches are won and what football players win football matches and what footballing managers properly conceptualize how to win matches. Um, yeah, so I think like my number one point would be aligning the organization on like the the, the vision of what the team looks like on the field, um, and that doesn't mean like the United Way to me. That means like the winning way. Because ultimately, I think that is what the United Way is. Um, or what it should be. Um, yeah, that, that's my like number one and most important point. Everything else flows directly from that. So, um, you know, whether it means restructuring the scouting department and uh, their relationship with the data department and, um, you know, your match day... Uh, opposition analysis and your coaching staff, like all of those things could be a part of it. Without being inside, it's kind of difficult to say like, you need to fire all the scouts. Like, I'm not going to say that because for all I know, the scouts are very good at their jobs. Um, And I don't think like clearing house is actually the right way to do this. I think auditing house is the right way to do this. Um, And so I guess maybe that's part Two, or maybe that comes before aligning on a vision. It's seeing exactly. I think it comes how, after. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it. Com- I think it comes after. Um, where, yeah, you, you you look into. Okay, if we're not all aligned, who is out of line? Like who is who is not pushing in the same direction as we all need to be pushing, um, and then make changes in, the, in that space. Um, this is kind of, I feel like to a certain extent, these are such broad strokes that maybe it's not even interesting, but yeah, I mean, go ahead. It seems like you have something to say. One I can think of that's more specific. That would be number three, I guess, would be aligning a football structure 
um, at a higher level than first team management. So I think in recent years, one thing we've seen at United, for better or worse, it's led to managers doing very well when things worked out for them and managers doing very poorly when they haven't, um, is largely it feels like Ten Hag is extremely influential on how United play, who they sign. And obviously that's always going to be the case because he's a football manager. But at the same time, it can be problematic because now when you're in a situation where you need to replace Ten Hag, you need to replace a whole portion of how the club looks at and looks to play football. The on a on a broader level, I think the all of these positions in front office football or in first team football are incredibly volatile. These are people who are making huge amounts of money and have very high turnover, but the first team manager of a football team is one of the highest turnover positions in the sort of executive management side of the football club. And so it doesn't make sense for that to be someone who is A, the most responsible, and B, solely responsible for the footballing system of of how, again, how you want to win matches, how players are selected to win those matches, um, how the first team is managed. That's, That's too much responsibility to fall on one single person. So ideally, you want a structure of people, A, above the manager, who are responsible for that, people who are more ingrained in the long-term vision of the club. City instilled that long before they hired Pep. And secondly, you want um, multiple people, not just one. You don't just want to plant a director of football above the manager who then becomes the main person who's responsible and then have nobody else around them. You need to have people who are responsible for directing the football. You need to have this alignment at academy level. People who think about, okay, we want to play this way, How do we build academy players who can contribute to top flight football at this level and then coach the academy that way? You want to have this in your scouting departments. How do we scout these kinds of players and recruit them? So you want to have heads of recruitment. You want to have heads of academy. You want to have heads of performance. You want to have directors of football, not necessarily all above the manager, but all aligned with this idea. And what you arrive at then is one, all of the functions of your footballing department are going to coordinate better to what the manager is actually trying to achieve. Um, And the manager is going to get better. They're going to find their jobs easier to perform in. And then number two, you're also going to find that when it's time to replace the manager, when this goes wrong, which is going to happen less often because your structure is better, but when it does go wrong or when you decide you want to change the manager, you can just change the manager. You can find another manager who's going to largely play within your overarching principles They'll change a couple of things, and then you'll continue as a footballing side. And you'll avoid these seasons where you just have complete drop-offs and the team looks incompetent on the footballing pitch. That really is a function of backroom structure. It, this should never happen. And it happens because of a lack of um, overarching figures in the footballing structure of the club who have a constant idea of how the club is going to play and then recruit managers to execute on that. Another way to put this is um, there's, there's a concept in, in software development called modular programming. I'm about to get very nerdy here for a second, um, but I think it, it, it describes this concept well. And basically, the idea in modular programming is um, you separate, let's say you're building an application, um, and you know, you've got like uh, you know, various different features in the application. Basically, when you're building the functions that make that application work, you don't build them all together, you, you, modular, you modularize them. 
so that if one of them breaks, the rest of them aren't dependent on that break and you only have a, a localized failure as opposed to everything collapsing and your whole programming crashing, your whole program crashing, for example. Football clubs are not so different in that, or really any, not, everything is, is, is similar to that in a sense in that everything should be modularized. Like there should, there should, you want, really want to minimize in any organization failure points that cause the entire club or company or whatever it may be to collapse. Um, and I think like United are not modularized. <laughs> like everything flows through like these individuals and that is really bad because you should be able to have, you know, it also, it also means it's really hard to identify what has failed. Right. Um, because if that's a huge thing, you can't troubleshoot yeah. what the problem is when the, the structure does not have an overarching principle that people are recruited to follow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, it's, it's just bad organizational architecture, um, which I guess is really just rephrasing the idea of, 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 you know, backroom structure, but yeah, yeah it's, it's not, I it's mean, not so simple as just reorganizing. It's, it's like never letting any one person have control over everything ever again. Um, which I know is probably yes. like, I don't know. I think that probably just sounds foreign to people who grew up watching out Sir Alex Ferguson run the whole club. It's not that I think obviously that worked, but like, I don't, I don't think you can bank on like uh, an effective cult of personality, <laughs> just like being your model. Um, yeah. To elaborate on this example, I'll add one more thing, which is obviously in an application where it's built in modules, you have points of connection between the modules that serve to turn these modules into an application as a whole, right? And those also become a portion of your principles that, like you said, allow you to isolate the problems. So a great example of this is, you know, a big part of the United DNA that I personally think is very feasible in the modern era is turning academy players into first-team players. And one thing that you've seen over the last 10 years is the promotion of players from the academy to the first team has been wildly variable based on generations of graduating academy players and how good the quality of player was based on who was recruiting and who was coaching those teams at the time. And another another thing you see is based on who the manager was, vastly different amounts of academy players showing up in the first team. So for example, Van Hall gave debuts pretty much every other week, whereas Mourinho, I don't I think there's probably one first team player who was promoted during Mourinho's time as manager, and that's Scott McTominay. If you have an overarching principle that the academy should consistently produce a few first team players that meet the required standard, you start recruiting academy players with that in mind. You start coaching them to play in the first team. And then regardless of who's managing the first team, you have this flow of academy players who are going to come into the first team. And then if the managers don't agree with that point of view, then they shouldn't be hired. You should, you, you create a list of requirements upon which you want the manager to action upon, and then a, a checklist of things that basically they have to execute in order to be functioning in their job. And that's normally how people in every other industry 
create these types of positions and structures and then hire managers into them. Um, but for some reason, it just hasn't happened at United. And I think you're starting to see signs that that could be happening with appointments like this, but it's not clear as of yet. Uh, so I think basically what we've got here is come up with a vision that is based in, that's grounded in how other teams win football matches consistently. See who in the organization is aligned with that. Make changes to the the parts of the organization that are not aligned with that. And then in rebuilding, modularize. Like, I think that's ultimately, I guess that's sort of our four-point plan, right? Like, does that sound right? Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah. And then I guess I guess at the very end of that, um, but also it's, this doesn't, it's not necessarily chronological, um, is appoint the right manager. <laughs> um, well, appoint the right people will, will naturally. Yeah, yeah, true. It's, yeah. First four. Yeah, but I, I do, I, I mean, I do I think, think you can ignore the fact that um, e- even if all of these cogs are very important and need to be, as we've called it, modularized, um, separated, uh, another word for it, I guess, in a sense. The manager is is so important, and so like I think it it still deserves its own step because um, you could do all of that right, and then if it's just the wrong guy, like you're like I take your point that you can minimize the turnover. Them. You exactly you have to yeah you can't have everything working and then the wrong manager and it'll it'll break down like that won't work, um, and 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 maybe you'll you'll be able to recover more quickly, but we're, correct yeah I think you we're all sick of recoveries, but you won't. <laughs> You will you break maximize down. Maximize your potential. Oh, are you, are you, are you, are you, I see what you're saying. Never mind. I see. What you're, you'll yeah. you'll you'll break down, but not the way that United have this season. Yeah. If you have a flow of structure that leads to remotely correct managers being appointed, but remotely correct managers won't always be Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola, right? They'll be managers who are good that you have to take a gamble on. Like I don't think that at the time United appointed Ten Hag, I thought it was a bad appointment. And I think if I was seeing a manager similar to Ten Hag now, I might also say that might be a good appointment. Um, and so sometimes these things fail. Sometimes they don't happen the way you want them to. Uh, but the key is that you should be able to then make that change accordingly, take that manager out, and replace them with who you think is the right manager. Um, and the, the turmoil will not be as bad, and the dependency will not be as high as it currently is. Um, the other thing I'll say is like, I'm not sure if this is what John meant when he asked the question, but we've given a very sort of like business organizational type answer here when maybe what people might find more interesting or more um, informative is five points of how we want United to recruit and play on the pitch in terms of our principles. Um, But I think by and large, those things come through in our podcast every week. Um, on a personal note, I want United to shift their focus towards talent that is on the brink of stardom and identifying that talent correctly. Um, signing younger players in their early 20s and even late teens who have shown promise that they could play at the highest level. Recruiting players who are capable in possession systems and impressing systems. Like Case has been saying all episode, athleticism and technicality. Um, recruiting coaches who have a great emphasis on deep buildup and pressing as methods of dominating matches and creating chances um, and preventing the opposition from doing so. 
those are always throughout the life of this podcast. Those have been themes of things we've talked about that would be in my five point plan for how I would transform the vision of this club in terms of my specific ideals. But I think what we've presented in the answer to this question is something that could be translatable to people who don't necessarily share the same ideals as we do. Um, because we're not necessarily right. I mean, obviously we wouldn't have the views if we didn't think they were correct, but they could be applied to different views as well. Um, and cohesiveness and vision can still be achieved with different principles. And that's also how you test out different principles. You put them in scenarios where they are optimized to actually be tried out and you see what happens. And then when they're wrong, you learn from it. So yeah, yeah so, I just wanted so to many address that because I think that might said. be what yeah. John was interested in. Yeah, <laughs> fair. So many thoughts on what you just said. I think, first thing, yes, I have been talking about physicality and technicality, but to be more specific, because I think this is a more interesting point and also a more accurate point, it's about elite physicality and technicality that leads to composure on the ball. So it's not just about like your ability to hit a 50-yard pass. It's your ability to not panic yes. under pressure. Um, and I mean that in terms of like footballing pressure, not like mental pressure. Though I guess the two are related. Um Another thing that you said, oh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, sort of, this is a, a large aside, but I think a good, like a positive thing that you can look at is I do think United have more very young players in the senior side who have those qualities than I can remember in a long time. Like I think Rasmus Hoyland has those qualities. I think Alejandro Garnacho has those qualities. I think um, Kavi Menu has those qualities, and that's three. And I think those are three very young footballers who are going to be very good for a very long time and have the potential to be the best players in their position in the Premier League. Um, and they play for United. Uh, so like that, that, like those are great building blocks. I don't think United have ever had, or ever is not the right word, but since Sir Alex Ferguson was here, had, have had three players who, who that's true of. Well, one, one thing that um, I remember Rangnick saying when he was talking about United needing a rebuild that I found really interesting. Most of the things I, he said felt pretty obvious in those conferences that people still bring up. But one thing he said that was really interesting was, you know, people were asking him how many years they thought it would take for United to get back to a competitive level. And he was like, it shouldn't take longer than 18 months. You have two or three windows, you set the right principles in place, and you go sign the players to make it happen. And then slowly you go from there. And United's squad is better than it was when he said that um and so i think if united get this right you'll soon find that and maybe this will prove to age terribly but you'll soon find that there are a lot of players in this squad who are very good and with the right principles in place and the right teammates to complete the setup um and the right overarching setup around them they will function much better and show that their ability is in fact very good um and so I think that's the number one thing that you can take take away as a positive from this season is that you have your Hoyland, Garnacho, and Mainu. And then in the next age group above them, you have your Lissandro and Onana and Dalo and, I don't know, even players like Rashford and players in their mid-20s who are also valuable contributors at this level. Um, you, you have a lot to work with in this team, and it's not a dead end whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, that said, I also think, like, there's there's a lot to work with, but I also 
this is this is actually the thing I wanted to talk about the last time you said something and I, I forgot what it was. We so often do this thing where we say we need to rebuild and then you know we we have a big window and that big window involves buying players in their late 20s who are already perceived as being elite. Um, and often we do a lot of you know hand wringing over whether how it how it actually makes sense. Um, and I'll say this. It, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like, so I think that's a huge change that I'm hoping to see. Like, you shouldn't be buying footballers who are like over the age of 26. Like, period. Even 26 is like the upper end. Yeah. Like, like look at what Arsenal have done. They've spent like the the overwhelming majority of the transfers that transfers that they've transfers that they've done since they were you know finishing like. Eighth, have been very, very young players who fit exactly the criteria I just described. They are elite physically, and they have technicality that allows them to be composed on the ball. Um, yeah, I, I, I like. I'm just gonna, you know, there will be moments I'm sure in the coming months, and if especially if things don't go well, uh, where we'll be talking in the summer transfer window about like immediate injections of of you know 28 year old players who can play a position at a really high level and how United needs to have elite players and then that's how you win. Um, you are not going to buy a ready-made title winner. You're going to make it. Um, you're going to develop it. And I just have no interest in a, in a different approach. Like, I, it's just not going to work. I'm so certain of it. I've seen us try so many times. It is not going to happen. I can be I can be talked into still players like Ericsson, where it's like you cannot bring that player in. And so for a very low fee, a very low fee, you bring in a player to bridge the gap, and then you go by the long-term yes. player. In this case, yes. the Mason Mount. Which is what we right? were talking about earlier with, like, Tony, right? Like, we were like, Tony is just too expensive. But yeah, somebody was in that age... Mil, yeah. I would sign him tomorrow, right? Yeah. Somebody but in that age bracket, like, is fine as long as it's not... The solution, it's it's fulfilling a role that you don't have filled while you find the solution or while and the, the fee solution and wage develops. packet reflect that. Yeah, and the exactly. Um, but large monetary commitments to players who like I, I just I don't think you should be purchasing like a player who the majority of their value is going to come in the first eighteen to, to twenty four months of their contract. Um, for, yeah, like, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense. And I, I don't even think I need to caveat that. Like, that's just... Nope. Yeah. I mean, I stumbled upon this idea when I was, like, a couple years ago when I first got into the game, and looking at high-value-add transfers and seeing that the vast majority were under 25, I think Arsenal were the third example of a Premier League team in recent years to do this almost, like, almost painfully clearly um the first being city if you look at pep's transfer activity in his first few years he brought in players like ederson um leroy sane bernardo silva um he brought in four fullbacks or three fullbacks they were all young um except for i think maybe one who was like 26 walker was like walker was one of the older players he brought in he was like 25 26 um, you look at Liverpool when they went and turned their team from, you know, above average Premier League side to title contenders, the players they signed were 
Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho, Nabi Keita, Andrew Robertson, all under 26 when they joined Liverpool. Um, even players like Wijnaldum, like all of these big money outlay, Allison, all of them were under the median Premier League age significantly for their position. Um, and then again, you look at Arsenal and they went and did the same thing. And the reason for this is because these teams, to the least extent City, but even in City's case, I would say, these. if you imagine you have 11 players and your budget is $100 million in a summer, or let's say $150 million in a summer, and players of this quality cost $50 million, then you can sign three players a summer. You can't sign 11 players a summer. And if you're signing three players a summer, it takes four years to replace your starting 11. So if your starting 11 isn't going to last you more than four years, you're going to have to replace your starting 11 before you're done building it. It doesn't make any mathematical sense. Um, and so if you sign players who are 23, odds are you're going to get something out of them until they're 32, 33, if you manage them properly and it goes properly. And if you pay $50 million for those players, even if they're not as good, and you identify the ones who correctly are going to get better, then you have enough time to rebuild the entire team twice, and they're still a part of it. Um, whereas if you sign players who are 27 or 28, by the time you get good, you're going to be thinking about replacing them again, and you're not going to be as good. And this is the same problem we've seen over and over again with these big money signings United make. I just don't want to see them anymore. Players like Casemiro. When it happened, I didn't want it to happen because I was like, yes, he's going to be very good in his first season, but then United are going to have to replace him by the time they get to the point where they're actually as good as he might end up being in his first season. He's not going to be that good anymore. Same thing with Nemanja Matic when United did that in 2017. It's the same thing again. So, yeah. And then, I mean, I thought it was... I was wondering if this was just something in my head, but I remember Rangnick conceptualizing this with like, I think he says a football a football player's career has five contracts and you rarely um, find that the best clubs are the ones um, are, are recruiting these players on their fourth contract. They're usually recruiting these players on their second or third contracts, meaning that they have some professional experience. So you have a relative level of confidence that they're very good. Um, but you don't have uh, a worry that this is going to be the last contract that they sign at this level, and they don't have the reputation yet that you have to pay a fee that reflects the stature that they have in the sport. Um, you see the same thing in Moneyball. In Moneyball, um, the book, not the movie, there's extensive talk about how Billy Bean and Paul De Podesta, the two the two front office execs who who drove the Oakland A's success at that time, um, they didn't want to sign players from high school they wanted to sign players from college and that was simply because of variability college was the perfect amount of time where you could get a long baseball career out of a player but also they had some high level baseball experience that reduced the variability of how good they were likely to be when they got there um and i mean if you if you read more into it you could you they gave the example of how billy bean was a top prospect when he graduated high school but they really had no way of predicting his quality at that time. It was a it was a high variance move, um, and so basically, I don't know. This is a, this is a really long aside that's not particularly related, but I find it interesting in conceptualizing how transfers happen and how the best teams do it. Yeah. All right. I think we've really hit a lot. Um, 
I really, I actually really like this. This, I, I didn't love the question from John, not because it's a bad question, but because I didn't want to have to answer it. But now I'm actually pretty happy with the conversation we've had. Um, I think on that note, we can call it. Honestly, we are at an hour and twenty minutes, and United will start playing football again next week, which means that we'll hopefully have some more to talk about. Case anything to add? Nothing. Nothing. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all healthy. Um, yeah. That's all I got. Great. Well, we'll be back either way next week, regardless of what happens, and hopefully we'll see you there too. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.